The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Aaron Rodgers is the biggest story in the 2023 NFL season. People are curious. Every time we stage a live event, could be one across 10 different sports that we promote. That's our product. 4.6 million women are already sports betting in the U.S. Digitization of ticketing has made things more transparent in some ways and less transparent in others. One of the coolest things about rugby, it's the same rules for men and women. Golf is a sport you can play well beyond your years, unlike any other sport. You don't have college athletics anymore. You have young people playing professional sports. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Damian Sassauer. Michael Barr is off this week and we'll hear from Scarlett Fu later in the program. But here to lend a hand are two friends of the show, Bloomberg Originals Chief Correspondents Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo. Jason, Vanessa, Thank you for joining us here on the what Bloomberg up? Business of Sports. How you doing? Coming up on the show, we'll talk with two gentlemen who are looking to change the world of sports betting. Zach Doctor, co-founder and CEO of WagerWire, and Dean Sisson, CEO of Profit Exchange. Uh, it's kind of like the equivalent of buying Apple stock, right? You're, you're betting on the Patriots minus seven or the Jets plus seven, um, and you can trade in and out, out of that position on market exposure on profit. That's on the way. But first, we want to touch on some headlines, starting with the U.S. Open, which is just getting underway. Here to help set the scene for us is Molly Smith. She's Bloomberg Economics Editor and our resident in-house tennis expert. Molly, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Well, listen, let's get right into it, Molly. The U.S. Open, Flushing Meadows, Queens. Talk to us a little bit about what's going on there and what makes this year so special. Oh, it's it's tough to pick out just one reason. I've been there for, uh, I went the first three days of this week, so I like to call it the Molly special three days in a row. And I've, uh, and I'll be back out there again for a couple more times throughout the tournament. And uh, it's just, um, I mean, each year for me, it's just a, a new reason to love the game. I grew up playing tennis in high school and college. I play in the city in a few different leagues, and it's just amazing to see it played at the pro level and the you know the TV just really doesn't do it justice it's incredible to see just how physical and athletic this game is in person it feels like kind of a catalytic important year right now post serena obviously you have a great story that's on the bloomberg one of the most read that talks about this women's field talk to us about that and what it means to the business of tennis going forward because any i was talking to a colleague about this this morning any worries about like a post Serena world on, on the women's game in terms of fan interest obliterated? It feels like completely. And I th- I think this is where for me, a lot of the people who I talk to who I would describe as casual tennis fans, you know, maybe they watch the U.S. Open, maybe a little bit of Wimbledon, not much else. Don't follow the sport the rest of the year. And they kind of. They, they view this as a negative. They're like, I couldn't tell you any of the top three women's players right now. Mm. Never heard of them. Can't pronounce their names. Um, and are just, you know, these are American people. And like these these players are 
uh, from do, your do, doofus so, Americans we're talking about yes, here. Go yes, on. They, yes. So just uh, keep that in mind here. But and they kind of look at it as like, oh, you know, that's just I, I don't really have the time for this. And it's just for me, I think that's just like the biggest loss to view it that way. I think it's just the game is just so interesting and unpredictable right now. The depth of the field is incredible. Um, you know, Marketa Vontrusova winning Wimbledon is the first ever unseeded player to do so this summer. Um, you know, people look at that and think, oh, you know, the top seeds, they really can't be that great if like these relative nobodies are winning at the highest level. But I think it just shows that there are so many people who could arguably win every tournament. And it really just is an open field. Right. Doesn't that just make it more interesting? I, I feel like it's the similar thing that we saw with the Women's World Cup. When it's that competitive, unpredictable, it actually gives the game way more of an element, almost like a March Madness kind of a feel, right? Totally. I, th- I think from a fan experience, it's very exciting. Um, you know, just out be- being at the Open this week, seeing, uh, you know, the crowds for some of these women's matches, uh, it really is incredible. And I'll say this admittedly as somebody who doesn't follow a whole lot of other sports, men's or women's throughout the rest of the calendar year. But I would have a hard time imagining that many other women's sports on a global stage get the kind of attention and viewership that women's tennis does. I think it really is that's so exceptional in that way the the um you know the, the way that these athletes are paid when you stack it up against other female athlete athletes would you know just stand as a testament to that that they really are recognized at the highest global stage well there's an and yet though and damien I, I think we've talked about this before you know tennis is closer than most and U.S. Open is notable because it is equal prize money thank you billie jean king right. named the tennis center after you um rightly so but Cincinnati, just a couple weeks ago, you have Coco Goff, a huge hope for Americans tennis, making half of what? Less than half. Less than half of what Joker Joker. makes. I mean, come on, man. So it's a little tough, I think, to people who don't understand, who are not familiar with how the prize money is, uh, you know, how it's decided. Because the thing is, you kind of have to view this as like you're getting two products in one package. Like the men's and women's tour are organized by two different bodies. You've got the WTA, Women's Tennis Association, and the ATP, Association of Tennis Professionals on the men's side. So they are governed completely separately. The You know, they schedule their own events. There are some joint events, notably the Grand Slams, Cincinnati being another big one, and some others that are at the higher level of the tournaments. But they are on it. They're scheduled completely separately. They have different sponsors. They have different, um, you know, viewership. So that really dictates why the prize money is disparate between the two. So it may seem like, wow, you go to the Cincinnati tournament and like whoever the organizers are have decided that the winner on the women's side is going to get less than half of the men's. That's not the case. It's that there are two different bodies who have different pools of prize money and they are allocating them separately. Our thanks to Bloomberg economic editor Molly Smith joining us to get us rolling on the U.S. Open here in Flushing Meadows, Queens. Now we stick with women's sports and turn to a few recent headlines, starting with the controversy surrounding the president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation. For our audience, you know, just this is just give you a quick background here. The Spanish Football Federation is really run by and just the way it's orchestrated by this man, Luis Luis Rubiales, and he refuses to leave after this embarrassment and so much of an embarrassment that Prime Minister uh, Pedro Sanchez is even calling for this man's regiment. I mean, it's crazy. So effectively, Jason, I mean, 
we shouldn't even be talking about it, but here we are, you know, with all the good that's going on here in Flushing Meadows with the U.S. Open and equal pay for women and all that stuff. And then you have something like this grabbing headlines. I, absolutely. I agree. And and VP, you and I were, were talking about this. I mean, what's your take as a former Division One soccer player, someone who follows the game more closely than than anyone I know and understands the business of the game? What do you think this does for you know, we talk about these catalytic moments. What do you think it does for for women's soccer at this moment? It's interesting because I actually think that this could have end up having almost a reverse good effect on women's soccer in Spain, the global game as it is, because you see things that happen like in in the U.S. Take it for, you know, everybody knows the U.S. was fighting for equal pay in 2019 and then they won and they had to go through this giant fight. Right. And that was what finally got them equal pay. It wasn't just winning. You can't just win as a woman. You have to do a lot more. So Spain just winning wasn't going to push them far enough, you know, to get equality in, you know, as, you know, Barcelona, as League, Liga F or the Champions League. It it wasn't going to get them there. And it wasn't going to get them the eyes that they probably should have had. This shouldn't have happened, of course, and it shouldn't be what we're talking about, right? But I actually do think if this doesn't happen, then people would have forgotten about Spain already. They wouldn't have talked about it anymore. Mm. It would have been, yeah, oh, oh, when's their victory tour? Good for them, you know, whatever. But now I think you have it. Now everyone has to look at the Spanish Football Federation, what they've been doing, because in reality, this team went to the World Cup protesting their manager and the federation said we don't really care we're gonna keep this guy we are who we are and now everyone has to take a look at this federation and say now the world is looking at this federation saying you are wrong so now it has to change well vanessa i'll do you one up there i mean let's put it this way spain wasn't the only storyline to come out of women's football uh, around this world cup I, i mean south africa jamaica nigeria some of these women's teams didn't have the funding. I mean, Nigeria, in the case of Nigeria, they were promised, you know, to be paid something. But then when they uh, uh, ascended as far as they did, you know, their own federation isn't paying them anymore. I mean, these storylines about women's pay for, you know, for, for, for women footballers, it's just unbelievable. But our thanks to Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo of Bloomberg Originals for joining us on the show this week. They'll be back a bit later in the program to help preview the NFL regular season. But up next on the Bloomberg Business of Sports, we'll take a look at sports betting and two companies looking to help change the game. Our cost to acquire a customer is a lot lower, five times lower on average than a typical sports book because the users that are coming to our site are coming to our site because we have a different product and we are providing them an actual unique uh, selling prop as opposed to a sports book, which is uh, like stock trading in the 90s. So the demand is starting to pick up. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Damian Sassauer. Michael Barr is off this week. With football and a lot of sports kicking into high gear for the fall, we wanted to take a look at the sports betting landscape. Scarlett Fu and I spoke with two gentlemen who are taking a bit of a different approach to the gaming industry. Zach Doctor is co-founder and CEO of WagerWire, and Dean Sissoon is CEO of Profit Exchange. Let's take a listen to our conversation about their companies and how things are shaping up. You guys are both in the sports betting business, but you kind of come at it from different angles. So why don't I have each of you explain what your company does? Zach, do you want to get us started? Yeah, so WagerWire is a secondary market for sports bets. So what we really allow you to do is to treat your bet as an asset that could be bought and sold at any time and tracked in a portfolio. And we're really kind of bringing this financialization of sports betting. Um, that It's really been a trend that I think Dean is is tapping into with, with profit as well. And what this allows you to do, if you think about it, is really um, you know unlock all sorts of new trading strategies. You can now buy low and sell high on a on a sports bet. Your, your team doesn't actually have to win the game for you to make money. You can just you know ride the team, um, ride the bet for a period. If your team gets a lead, you can start managing around that. You want to sell half of your bet, lock in a profit, let the rest ride. This really unlocks all this sorts of new optionality. That, re- that just hadn't been in the sports betting industry. Um, you know, it had been bottled up for so long. And now this 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 is kind of a new concept, even though it's something that has been super familiar for people in other industries and finance for, for a very long time. And then I think what sets us a little bit apart, um, you know, from when, when you hear about profit and their exchange model, we're taking this B2B. So we're actually partnering with sportsbook operators. We're a technology platform and we integrate right into their systems and allow this trading functionality as a layer on top of the normal bets that you would already have, uh, you know, with your sportsbook operators. So we're really trying to basically just drive this evolution and and be part of this, you know, betting 2.0 that that's coming out. And as we're seeing kind of five years into the industry develop here. Uh, Zach, I have so many questions for you, but I got to give Dean a little bit of a chance here to tell us a little bit about profit exchange. Dean, take it away, bub. I don't know. I don't know if I can match that. That was a pretty good intro, but uh, <laughs> profit is a peer to peer, high frequency betting exchange, full stop. Uh, we were the first fully regulated betting exchange to launch in the US. This is a popular concept overseas. Um, if I am speaking to a more uh, financial enthusiastic audience. It is quite similar, if not almost identical to an options exchange. Um, so on our betting exchange, we're matching peers to either peers or matching peers to market makers, market makers to market makers. Um, just like on an options exchange with, uh, let, let's take actually one of our investors, Chicago trading company, if they're market making on an options exchange, they're, uh, having to list certain quotes for, uh, certain prices within certain time intervals at certain liquidity intervals. And it works just like that for sports betting outcomes on our exchange. Uh, Dean, um, I, so I'm excited to get into all of this. I mean, yeah. So let's get into it. I mean, the Jets, you know, going before they traded for Aaron Rodgers, the Jets were what, I 20 to one? They were this. 20 to one to win the Super Bowl. Right now they're what, eight to one. So are you telling me that if I had locked in that 20 to one and now we're at eight to one, I could have extracted a profit? 
That's exactly right. That's exactly the kind of use case we're going for with WagerWire is you, you know, you, you placed that bet early. Maybe you had a feeling they were going to make a move. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you just stumbled into a lucky bet. But now you're sitting on something that, you know, if it went from 20 to one to eight to one, you actually have more than doubled your money already. So then talk to me. I mean, because I love this and this is all about timing. This is all about theta. This is optionality. I mean, boys, this is exactly where this market's going to go. Hopefully. I mean, once you start securitizing these cash flows, how are you guys pricing that? I mean, is it, I mean, I mean, I mean, there's got to be so much that goes into it. And on top of it, you know, there's a, I mean, still, I mean, I'm probably, you know, they're consolidating. There's a ton of sports books out there. So to pipe into them and get that data and have those, you know, different bets and those different trades sort of be fungible. I mean, take us through that whole process. I'll, uh, I'll let Zach talk about the pricing and, and what they're doing on that. But what I will say is where sports betting is right now is kind of where, uh, stock trading was in let's call it the late 90s early 2000s where commission was was a much larger part of people's profits um if you're betting on a sports book it's, it's just like that experience right now if you're cashing out of a position which i'm sure zach will get into it's just like that right now and that's where profit and wager wire really capitalize on this we're bringing this financial productization over to sports betting which the finance industry saw 20 some odd years ago so let me ask yeah, totally, a little bit yeah. oh i'm sorry go ahead Oh, sorry. I was just going to build on that too. Is that um, yeah, kind of addressing the the pricing question a little bit too? Is look at the end of the day, this is an open market. The the buyers and the sellers determine the the clearing price for an asset. But there's we do have in house data science teams. We're crunching numbers. We're suggesting prices for people. We're guiding the market so that we can tell someone, look, we think that it would clear the market at X price, but they can put a limit price in of, of whatever they want to sell it for. And it's a, you know, it's a little bit different in, uh, than a stock market in that, look, you, someone could go place that same bet. Someone could go place the Jets bet with a sports book directly right now. So they're going to buy it on the secondary market because they're getting a little bit of a discount. So where we think that where we see the bets trading on the secondaries is basically with a little bit of a sharper price, uh, a more efficient pricing engine than what the sports books are offering right now directly. So talk to us about what parts of the, you know, sports betting market are, are most, yeah, I guess most profitable to you. I mean, like, for example, you know, is it the NFL futures market on who wins the Super Bowl? Is it, you know, Major League Baseball? Is it the NBA? And further to that, is it really the futures market where you guys are 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 are, are making the most, I guess, of your revenue and your profits? Um, or is it more the intraday trading and all this other stuff? I mean, talk to us a little bit about all that. I, th- I think um, th- the best way to put it is, Zach and I, our companies are operating in two different areas in in that general uh, sphere, let's call it. So you have, like you just mentioned, intraday trading, you have futures, you have all these different types of bets. And quite frankly, it would be impossible for one startup to focus on everything. Um, So what Profit is focusing on is uh, more mainstream markets and more in-play trading on those mainstream markets. So for example, uh, it's kind of like the equivalent of buying Apple stock, right? You're, you're betting on the Patriots minus seven or the Jets plus seven, um, and you can trade in and out, out of that position on market exposure on profit. Um, but where we want to work with WagerWire is on the future side and the uh, on the parlay betting side. I don't know if you guys are yep. familiar with parlays at all or like on the, on the teaser side where users can come in, where Zach's platform prices that for users and they can come in and sell that platform the those types of bets on on zach's platform and then we can be uh almost a uh clearinghouse-esque product for them um so they can find buyers and sellers i liked what you said earlier about how this is kind of like where the stock market was in the late 90s um you're looking at sports betting 2.0 
what kind of demand is there for what you're offering right now? Um, I will say that we've been live just in one state in New Jersey. Regulation uh, is very tight, just like finance, um, for just a year. So we launched August 15th of 2022. The demand has been, it's there, but it's very nascent and it's very early days. So what we're seeing is, you know, talk more uh, business metrics. Mm -hmm. Our cost to acquire a customer is a lot lower five times lower on average than a typical sports book because the users that are coming to our site are coming to our site because we have a different product and we are providing them an actual unique uh, selling prop as opposed to a sports book, which is uh, like stock trading in the 90s. So the demand is starting to pick up. It's tough because we're a startup and in this space, the like I just said, the cost to acquire a customer uh, is very high. So getting the word out there about us is tough. But from what we've seen so far, the the demand is starting to build, and I, I like, uh, let's say, the initial framework and groundwork we've put in so far. That's Zach Doctor of WagerWire and Dean Sissoon of Profit Exchange speaking with Scarlett Fu and I. Up next, more of that conversation about what their two firms are doing and what comes next in the world of sports betting. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Damian Sassauer. Michael Barr is off this week. We're listening to a conversation Scarlett Fu and I had with Zach Doctor, co-founder and CEO of WagerWire, alongside Dean Sissoon, CEO of Profit Exchange, about what their two companies are doing to grow engagement in the world of sports betting. Now, let's dive right back into our conversation. Who's demanding this product? I mean, are these people who are traders in financial markets? Are they day traders? Are they just very enthusiastic uh, sports bettors? I could jump in on this one is, um, look, I think there's more sharp bettors. Those more savvy, financially minded people are very price sensitive in sports betting, right? So sports betting, even the best sports bettors in the, in the country, in the world are winning 55%, 60% of the time. Uh, so this is a game of inches for those type of people and being able to have even just, you know, a couple of cents of extra price of better price is very important. So I think that's what both me and Dean are are attacking here is that um, the demand side of buying cheap bets is there. And then in my model, especially, and it probably also in Dean's is like, we you know, it's really all about balancing that supply and demand of bets. And so we're, we're really more focused on um, the supply side, frankly, of, of it's a little bit of a new concept for people to be able to sell their bets, right? Buying bets and placing bets is, is commonplace at this point, but getting that behavior of selling your bet or of mm -hmm. taking the other side, mm -hmm. kind of taking the sportsbook side of the, of the equation um, is where a lot of our focus is. And, but there's definitely demand for this type of product. Um, you know, there's actually been some features that the sports books themselves have been trying to roll out to try to address some of this. Like they, they've been rolling out a feature called cash out, 
where they'll actually offer you a price to forfeit your bet back to the sports book. But obviously, they're only going to offer a price that heavily favors themselves. So, uh, but that I think just demonstrates the the demand for users to want to be able to trade in and out of their bets. So, what we bring to the table is this, you know, market price for for that bet, rather than having to kind of take it or leave it. Like, imagine, you know, you you had your car and you could only take the dealer's offer. You weren't allowed to sell it to anybody else. That's kind of the world we're living in right now, and it's only if the dealer even wants to give you a bid. Sometimes they don't even offer a price, so you're kind of stuck with it, and you end up riding it to zero a lot of the time. So that that's really the the pain point of the industry that that we're trying to solve through bringing this to the to the sports books, and we're working our way mm-hmm. up into bigger and bigger books, and um, you know, and just basically mm-hmm. closing different partnerships and and building our way up to the to the big tier ones. Well, you know, Zach, I'm so happy you mentioned the word sharps because for me, it's all about counterparty risk. And if you look at just some of the problems that some of the largest, most established financial exchanges on the planet have had, I'm talking, you know, the LME, the London Metals Exchange, you know, and all these, you know, kind of recent issues. It comes down to counterparty risk, right? And so I'm curious, you know, how do the sport books get comfortable with you as a counterparty, right? Somebody who can, they can offload their exposure to. And what are you doing on your side to vet your, you know, your clients in terms of who you want to kind of offer exposure to? So, yeah, I can, I can jump in a, a bit on that. Again, Zach and I are attacking like two different types of uh, wager classes. So it's, it's very interesting to hear his answers in mine on a question like this, because the liquidity is, is so different. Um, I can just talk to our, our market making liquidity and then I'll, I'll let Zach jump in. But what we do, um, is we contract out very similar to, to an options exchange, um, that relationship with a market maker. So when you come on our site, uh, you'll be able to see a, a menu of prices. Um, imagine like, this is the example I like to give. I, I was trading a uh, Rite Aid options when I was in high school because I had no idea what I was doing. And this, this, the spreads were like 30 cents wide. Um, that's kind of like what it is trading on a sports book. And with us, because we're contracting out these market makers and because they don't have the overhead that sports books have, they're pricing six to eight cents wide. And then users can come in and request their own price. If a sports book then wants to come in and lay off action, if they don't trust their models, they could absolutely do so on our site and they'd be trading against the market. Zach's, and that's just for straight bets. Zach, I'll, I'll let him speak about futures and parlays more, but that's how it works for us. Yeah, ours, I think, does work similarly in that WagerWire is not actually buying these bets or holding these bets. We're really just facilitating the trades between buyers and sellers. So um, so we're not really the, the counterparty in that sense. And what we do also to kind of address, you know, the, your question there buyers and sellers they do have to have sportsbook accounts you know this is a heavily regulated industry uh, as you as you know so um, both buyer and seller have been kyc'd you know there's aml restrictions there's geolocation there's all these type of uh, you know self-exclusion responsible gaming limits all those types of things apply here so really um, what what's kind of nice about our model as being the secondary market that you know bolts onto the sportsbook is that they do all that verification. The user signs up for the sports book, they get KYC'd and they're clear to go. And WagerWire really is just facilitating it. And that's why we actually are in a little bit of a different bucket from a regulatory perspective than profit is. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have a casino license ourselves. We don't underwrite the bets. You know, we're not we're not really caring whether the bets win or lose. 
um, we don't create new bets. These bets were placed and then now we're trading them in the aftermarket that we don't actually need a casino license of our own. We just need what's considered, you know, a vendor or a supplier license. Um, so that's also part, you know, a, a difference between our models too. Okay. You guys mentioned liquidity. I got to ask you about volume, uh, whether it's the number of shares traded, um, number of transactions or the dollar amount. What, did, what, what are you seeing, Dean? What are you seeing, Zach? Um, I can speak to our exchange numbers to date. So we've done, it's actually great because we're only nine days past the year mark here. Um, in one year, so we measured in dollars, not shares traded. Uh, the dollar amount that has gone through the site that's been transacted um, is 125 million. The amount that's been uh, matched, and I'll explain exactly what that means, is 80 million. So um, a user can come in just like on a stock market or an options market and request the price. They can make an offer. Um, it is not necessarily uh, it's not going to get required filled. by the market. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't get filled by the market maker essentially every single time um, because people are still learning how to use the exchange and, and they're requesting bad prices, right? If they're behind in the queue, they're not going to get filled. But, um, 80, so we have but 80 it's 80 million, million in match. Market. Yeah, yeah. That's that's impressive. That's yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, long way to go. So, you know, one other thing I noticed, and, and forgive me, is, you know, you talk about how you're able to kind of sync, you know, an individual, I guess, betters, you know, various different bets in one place, you know, that from different sport books and what have you. Talk to us about that feature. Is that is that uncommon in, in, in the sport betting, you know, community? I mean, and if so, I'm just curious, you know, which sport books are giving you that type of access to kind of, you know, you, you know, have access to their balance sheet to be able to kind of trade off of it or at least just pull in the data and use it to your will. I mentioned we're B2B earlier. We're we're really B2B to C. We do have a mobile app of our own, the WagerWire app, and it's in beta right now, available in the App Store, um, could be downloaded. You have this portfolio tracking functionality. You can sync in your sportsbook accounts. At the end of the day, the user owns their data. So if the, the user permits this uh, to basically have viewing access of their bets in their wallet, and then you can see all your bets in one place. And that's a really useful tool for someone who's an active better because um something people do is they sign up for all the books in their state you know they get all the bonuses and then they wake up one day and they've got five or six accounts and it's just a lot to manage and then they're price shopping across the different books and things like that so what this allows you to do is to see all your bets in one place and i think that's actually just a huge step and a huge tool in itself there are a couple of um, other startups out there that are doing similar things like that um but we don't stop there right that's not our end game our you know our end game is the actual bet trading and but that bet trading does require an integration with the sports book. And so that's where the B2B aspect of our business comes in. And that we're, you know, out there, we're pitching these sports books, we're in, we're plugging into them right now. So we're basically just moving our way into those into those challenger books, those tier two books, with the eye on getting into the, you know, the DraftKings and FanDuels and Caesars and MGMs of the world, uh, once we show them that this is that this is gonna actually help their bottom line too. That's WagerWire co-founder and CEO Zach Doctor and Profit Exchange CEO Dean Sisson. Up next, we do a quick preview of the NFL season with Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo of Bloomberg Originals. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Damian Sassauer. We've got the NFL regular season right around the corner. Let's welcome back Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo of Bloomberg Originals to help us preview the upcoming season. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about this upcoming season. What are your thoughts? What are the big storylines? I mean, we can talk about the Jets, but I prefer to hear about some of the other good ones that are grabbing your attention. I think we have to start with the Jets. I mean, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 oh. the the new A-Rod in New York City. I mean, this is, it, VP and I have been talking about hard knocks. It I think has changed the way a lot of people think about this, you know, ayahuasca taking, <laughs> you know, former uh, speaking of the Midwest, you know, guy who comes from the Midwest. He's on the big stage now. I mean, this is a game changer for him, I think, from a brand perspective. I think it's a game changer for the Jets from a, a fan perspective until he sh- proves otherwise or until the Jets sort of remind everyone that they're the Jets again. uh I think this is one of the most compelling storylines and 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 clearly like a big business story because of how much focus is going to be on there. I think. Vanessa, what are your thoughts here? I mean, everybody, my audience knows what I think about this season. It's going to be a big one, I'm sure. But it does kind of remind me the year after the Jets made it to the AFC championship game against Denver, you know, first game in following season, Vinny Testaverde goes down, and so goes the season. So as a Jet fan, we're used to these kind of things happening to us. Vanessa, what are your thoughts? Right, I actually think it's hilarious because I do think it's, you know, this this idea of a very Jets or Mets sort of a situation. You have everyone in <laughs> everyone in New York is is this kind of fan, except for Yankee fans, me. You know, where we're, you guys are used to just holding on <laughs> until that last moment where it just won't come together. But I I don't know. I have a lot of hope for this season. I, I think that, like me and Jason talked about, I this hard knocks really painted Aaron Rodgers yes. in a different light. And I even, you know, even we're in the media, we know how you can make things look. But I do think that he seems just like a nice guy that was a little misunderstood. I don't know. Um, I don't know misunderstood. He is who he is. But, he he yeah. is who he is. No, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It definitely Hard Knocks was, was cool to watch. And I and I think it does make you really excited for the season. I am not a Jets fan, but New York hasn't had anyone to root for in a really long time. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean. And that's all-encompassing. I mean, know, I think- Especially if I guess my only other sort of macro thought about this season is as this NFL season starts, we are reminded and we can, you know, we talk about women's volleyball in Nebraska. We talk about the World Cup. We talk about even tennis, which obviously is encompassing everything here. When it comes to sports in America, it's the NFL and everything else. The numbers bear that out, you know. I've been working on something around the the Dallas Cowboys. This is a team worth nine and a half, give or take, billion dollars. The media rights for the NFL far surpass anything else. It is the most popular sport. 
and it does such an incredible job creating these characters. I mean, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, but like, let's think about the other, you know, players who are coming at you, know, who are either here or coming on. You know, you've got I've got Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs' favorite to win the Super Bowl again. You've got Jalen Hurts right. down in Philadelphia. Let's not forget one of the things we're going to see is Tom Brady returning to New England to be celebrated. I mean, these are the iconic athletes and the iconic teams in America. Full stop. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I mean, just going back, you know, the storylines that really captured my attention. And, and look, I've got Jordan Love. I mean, this is what the third quarterback to play in Green Bay since, I don't know, the turn of the century. Right. right? Yeah. It, it. I think it's going to be a fascinating, you know, series of storylines for sure. And, you know, we love football. I mean, Americans love football. And this is what we do. Our thanks to both Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo for joining us on the show this week. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on X at DSassHour. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.